Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 131, Connection Games. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from our worldwide shed quarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. And I'm here, as usually, with my Let's go. good friend, Jesse Fury, here live in the shed quarters. We are together. We are back. We are feeling lucky today, at least uh, <laughs> whatever feeling... lucky means in light of our last podcast episode. But Jesse, good to have you, brother. I'm feeling the providential kindness of God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. There's a kind <laughs> providence. The sun is shining. Hey, Jesse, I saw on Twitter somebody complaining about excessive banter at the beginning of podcasts. Do we Ooh, do that? We don't. We don't do excessive banter. I, I don't banter. think we do. No. I don't think we do. And no. and even like we've even cut out excessive features sometimes of the That's podcast. Right. We still yeah. like reviewish, like, you know, reviewish, right? Like, for, for example, right I got a new little sticker for my MacBook because I don't know what I'm doing with keyboard shortcuts because I have memorized oh, all the Windows okay. ones. And there's this $5 sticker on Amazon that has all the how to do the basic everything for the Mac. Well, and I feel I feel like it's like Mac for dummies, and I, I like it. You Review like it. it. Two thumbs up. And you just stick it right onto your yeah, Mac? Yeah, stuck on right on the, on the palm rest. Oh, right? look at that. So it goes with you there. So mm. I know how to do a screenshot now mm. on Mac as well as Windows. So There you go. How you been, man? Man, I have been okay. Uh, man, I'm really loving this fall weather. Yeah. I mean, it just, you 50 know, something degrees this morning. So yeah. beautiful. So beautiful. You know, last night we had a, uh, we had a, our small group, first, first meeting of the small group, and we, we were gathered around the fire pit in my backyard enjoying the fall weather. And uh, I want to, I, I saved this for, for being mic'd up okay. to tell you that one of the, our small group members, we were talking about what, podcast or um, or book we've listened to lately or read and and one of our one of the people said you know how do you how is the audio quality so good <laughs> on the gospel underground i listen to all kinds of podcasts all of these super professional npr all these other things and that none of them sound as good as the gospel underground and i said uh one word read <laughs> Jesse, that is, you actually know that that makes me feel really, really good. And I, I appreciate you saying I that. Said, I, I promise you, I will tell Reed that because yeah. <laughs> he has put, and the answer is he's put, you've put, you've just put a lot of effort into it. Yeah, we try. Yeah. We try. And I even listen to lots of podcasts and I even hear audio and, I, and I'll switch off there that one. I was like, well, that sounds really good. Do we sound terrible? They'll put ours on. Like, no, we sound pretty, pretty good. good. So. Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, thank you for noticing Unnamed Friend and all of you out there. We are glad to try to produce good content because we are the writers, the producers, the researchers, the audio engineers, the video editors of the Gospel Underground I really podcast. love yeah. how you use the, the we there. Yeah. The we. Yeah. I'm like Ed McMahon. I just <laughs> show up and I'm like ha, 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 yeah. ha, ha, ha. <laughs> with books in hands ready to go okay, that's true. you are that's you true. are an excellent excellent uh, yeah, shotgun writer true. on the podcast well Jesse we are in sacred games obviously mm. if you've been with us we are in this uh, series of podcasts where we're looking at what does our civilization do if we attempt to live Without God, obviously the phrase sacred games came from Friedrich Nietzsche after saying, hey, if we murdered God, how would we comfort ourselves? What are we going to do? And his question was, what festivals of atonement? How do we make ourselves feel better about ourselves? Uh, and what sacred games shall we future tense invent? And Jesse, we have now created them. And in the many, uh, in, and in many ways, we are living with sacred games, new neo-religion even all around us, the fruit born in a culture 
with a society trying to fill uh, feelings of meaninglessness uh, and empty selves with many sacred games, seeking what? Transcendent things, meaning, love, truth, beauty, what uh, theologians call transcendentals, right? Uh, where we were made for God, to God to satisfy these things, but we, if we deny that, then we have to create other things. And so last time we looked at the power game with a little thing on luck in between, but reducing all human interactions to power, control of others, and resources. And and so we start seeing the calculus of life, every relationship, marriage, configuration, schools, uh, even racial interactions and dynamics, all sorts of things as only oppressed and oppressor. And then social configurations are, we're designed, we have to see through really what, what is my wife really doing here? And are we oppressing each other? Like it really kind of is important. We have to look at, hey, is power abused, right? Because abuse and abuse of power is a serious problem in human affairs and sin. But we have to leave room and not just be playing the Game of Thrones all the time. We have to leave room for love, respect, kindness, community, uh, building stuff together and not just being suspicious. And I, I think that the that our last episode, and I think the same thing about this one, I'll think the same thing about the next one too. They're, <laughs> I mean, they're so important. I, 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 I do sermon planning in a group with uh, every Wednesday with a group of pastors. And, um, you know, we're talking right now about essentially theological anthropology because we're doing Genesis. Image of God. Image yeah. of God, Imago Dei. Yeah. And, and we're, we're talking about ontology. You yeah. know, we, talk, we, yeah. we did this in that episode, yeah. right? Where, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, that it, the, the, the thinking around their, you know, uh, Foucault's idea that there is no onto- ontology is just... Yeah, a power statement is like so helpful when you think about why. Because I, I've got these friends who are just they can't figure out why don't people get it. Like yeah. there's an ontological reality. Yeah, there's biology. There's these things that like how do we what do, we should just accept yeah. this yeah. Uh, this objective on and and being able to kind of go well that yes yes but if you've got people who have been essentially trained without whether they know it or not socialized and educated yeah to think. Your ontological truth statement is actually not rooted in it, it's it's just a power play. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. And and this is downstream. Nietzsche was an honest atheist, right? He realized that if you deny the big ontology, ultimate reality being rooted right in the creator, everything downstream then becomes very suspect. And we're just yeah, everybody's making stuff up. And and then trying to wield a power over each other, which Nietzsche said was his role to become great, right? That's what yeah. people should do. Uh, come what may as you do things to others. Well, the, the problem is, Jesse, ontology is real. Human beings are a certain kind of creature. And we were designed for things like love and connection and safety and community, right? And so... What are people doing today without God? Well, we're going to rely on a couple of different works today, but one is a book called Strange Rites, New Religions for a Godless Age by Tara Isabella Burton. And she says this in her in her introduction. If you've ever been to a yoga studio or a CrossFit class, Jesse, you've been to those. Hey, hey. Uh, yeah. uh, ever practice self-care with a 10-step Korean beauty routine or a Gwyneth Paltrow Sanctum juice cleanse or ever written or read internet fan fiction or compared your spiritual outlook to Dungeons and Dragons classification, lawful good, chaotic evil, what is that, the Enneagram, uh, or your personal <laughs> temperament. 
or to that of a Hogwarts house or your Slytherin. Uh, if you've ever channeled your sense of cosmic purpose into social justice activism, if you've ever tried to biohack yourself or use a meditation app like Headspace or ever negotiated personal relationships rules, be they kink or ethical non-monogamy with a partner, ever cleansed a house with sage, or ever been wary of a, of a person's, quote, toxic energy, you've participated in some of these trends. There are more, just you wait. And so she's saying today's new religions provide their various remixed flocks with four elements, meaning, purpose, community, and ritual. So Jesse, what Burton is getting at here is like, hey, just because the world is denying the the big idea of God or saying young people are becoming less religious, oh, they're becoming religious about everything. Reminds me of G.K. Chesterton quotes, the problem with disbelieving God is not that you'll believe uh, in, in, in anything. The problem is you believe in everything. And yeah. that's kind of what we're seeing today. Yeah, and really I, she uses that idea of remix throughout. You know, That's her way of saying uh, this. all of this sort of um, writing and pop, popular culture about how people are becoming irreligious is, is wrong. wrong right? right. The, the rise of the nuns, meaning N-O-N-E-S, yeah. uh, no religious affiliation, right. doesn't mean it's a rise of particularly sort of atheistic people. It's right. just remixed religion, right? Spirituality yeah. in, the, in the remix blender. And she even does a good job looking at some sociology of religion, yeah. saying while not every new religion described in this book fulfills all four criteria, right, the meaning, purpose, community, ritual, uh, they no longer have to. Today's mix and match culture means that the remix, that's what she's calling uh, spiritual people today, can get their sense of community from one place, maybe an intense fandom, maybe your Twilight fan fandom or something, and their sense of meaning from another place, social justice activism or techno-utopianism. We've talked about that on mm -hmm. the podcast. They can practice the rituals associated with wellness culture while seeing their purpose as primarily political. Those things that do make up why people, what they typically find in religion, have not gone away. They've just kind of been scattered hither and yon everywhere in our society, in our boutique, or, or the word she tends to like, bespoke, right? Yeah. Creations of rituals and, and tribes and religions for ourselves. Now, this is not surprising in any way um, for anyone who does study religion or, or cares about religion, spirituality, the human being, because we believe in ontology, Jesse, was made for connection and community, right? Uh, Jesus said it very clearly. What is, you know, what are the greatest things that God would want us to do? Love God, that's connection, relationship, and love our neighbors. And this idea of neighbors means there's a connection that God intended for human, human community. But Jesse, as a civilization, we are breaking. We are breaking our connections. Obviously, the bonds of faith. If you want to look at God, family, and civilization, I almost said God, family, and country, but I don't want people to think of nationalism <laughs> or something and get into that stuff. But like, we're breaking our bonds, bonds of the faith community, right? Uh, you know, REM song, we're lo losing my religion, right? Um, in fact, you know, people have tried to start church without God. There's an article in the Atlantic about this that talked about um, uh, religious affiliations of young people losing religions. 25% of Americans today are religiously unaffiliated up from single digits in the 1990s, right? This is an ancient yeah. history. Among young people, 39% 
uh, unaffiliated religious. Those numbers describe not just a retreat from organized religion, but also an erosion of community. Many faith congregations have acted as social anchors in their areas, providing a place to see and be seen by the same friendly faces each week. And these and other traditional social supports hollow out, as those hollow out, Americans are left bowling alone, as political scientist Robert Putnam famously put put it. That's from an article by Faith Hill called They Tried to Start a Church Without God in the Atlantic. Now, she mentions Putnam, right? Uh, Putnam's study was, you know, looked at 500,000 interviews uh, over the last quarter of a century, I think uh, 75 to 2000, something like that, where uh, people are signing fewer petitions, belong to fewer organizations, know their neighbors less, meet with friends less frequently, and even socialize with families less often, even bowling alone. And so the contention there is uh, when the bonds of faith and fellowship are broken, uh, we are left disconnected. So it's not surprising, look, we're looking for uh, replacements. Family, bonds of blood. Man, Jesse, I did a quick look at statistical divorce rates uh, in in our country from like the late 1800s until the late 1900s. And and literally, divorce was st- signif- uh, statistically insignificant at the turn into the 20th century, like point something, you know, just, just didn't happen. Um, and then up till the higher percentages we saw towards the close of the 20th century, you cannot have the breaking of the marriage covenant and have the bonds of family, the bonds of blood, so to speak, remain meaningful and intact for many people because we we you know I'm from that kind of family it's it's mm-hmm. you know we don't go see folks with the kids and things it's just kind of you can't do that right it's like they don't like each other like what are you going to do uh and so family has suffered and and I think that's affecting you know put us feeling alienated a little bit in our own world as well and certainly some of that some of that sociologically has to be due to the fact that women can like get jobs and yeah, be yeah. educated economically and, and, you know, right. able to leave right but some of it is so sometimes some, that's a good yeah right. sometimes yeah. of course yeah. yeah uh some of it though like i think about my my grandparents um you know i grew up multi-generational you know my, my parents got divorced my mom and me and my brother moved in with my grandparents and uh you know, I would say that they didn't like each other any any more than my mom and my dad liked each other. <laughs> but they just were, to be honest, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. and yeah. and uh, and at one point after my my pop up had passed away, my wife asked my nana, yeah. "Why did you guys stay together?" Yeah. And essentially, like you know, you didn't. And it's it was really interesting. She's like, "I don't know, I don't know." <laughs> and and really, what it what what it came down to is the idea of divorce yeah. wasn't a possibility. It was just for them. It was like, well. The, we don't get divorced because we, we just don't get divorced. Right, right. Um, and so c- certainly I'm just trying to draw the, the point that some of it is some of the reason that we see an increasing divorce rate has to be just, um, you know, there's there's opportunities for women now that there weren't for 100 sure, years ago. For sure. But some of it is that there's a, a, a sense of freedom from yes. uh, family, freedom from marriage, freedom from having to have these That's sort of right. responsibilities that was never possible for my grandparents. Yeah, you'll see articles written, people's divorce narratives and people celebrating those narratives uh, as an act of liberation because temporary self-happiness, both for men and women, we know, at least 
<laughs> we know that you could be having temporary situations in your marriage that are miserable. And so the the eject button on that. Now, downstream, the implications of that, sociologic, sociological studies on the effect of the breakdown of the family on, say, young people. Like, you had a place to go because your grandparents were together, probably, um, is significant, right? Um, and we we want to say, oh, it's just good for everybody. But sometimes it's not good for everyone. And certainly the fragmentation of the family has been a great effect of why uh, family, you know, friends are family. It was a little cartoon song our kids on some cartoon they watch. Friends are, you know, the the extension of the idea like family doesn't matter that much anymore because where we came from hurt us. So we have to have new family that can be simple, sim, uh, simply as effective. And so I'm not, we're not debating, you know, the goods or bads of this or that. We're just saying that the breakdown of our connections, both through faith and family have been significant today. And even like now, um, there's a wedge sometimes driven between families and their children. Obviously, um, you may disagree with maybe something your kids are being taught in school, um, or some ideology that they're being uh, forced to be uh, uh, almost adhere to in a in a public setting where the public and the community and the local families may not all agree on different things, like even actively being in- encouraged in some schools. You know, uh, you can go to school and dress like a, a girl if you're a boy and your parents don't have to know, and there's teachers that will empower this because they think your family or your parents are oppressive, right, uh, playing the power Game And so family is, for some, have been a source of solace, connection, uh, rest, home. Uh, we, we uh, you know, you know, we're going to a lot of Kyleen soccer games on the road right now. And she was laughing because her teammates like, oh, Kai's family's here. Like, and she's like, I told she was giggling. I told you guys they're going to be at everything. <laughs> but I could hear in her voice this sense of delight. Yeah, right? yeah. Security um, and delight. of course, I felt yeah. delight in hearing her say that to her teammates. Yeah. We literally driving a car next to their whole team, getting off the bus, and heard that. Uh, and for some, family can be a place of deep interconnection and uh, safety and confidence uh, development and drive into the world for the sake of good purposes. But not always the case where families and schools even aren't united. So how do you work that out uh, in life? Yeah, and I want to, I you know. Coming in today, I want to recommend uh, an essay by Wendell Berry titled Sex, Economy, Freedom, and Community. And really kind of the the big picture argument he's making here is that um, our sort of ultra-modern world has has lost community and affection as the center, center central part of meaning making and um, really kind of stability in, in, in civilization. And when you lose that, we've sort of gone in the direction of either private freedom or, or freedom from, and yeah, don't intrude on whatever I want to do or public battles of politics. So he's using sex in particular to say sex actually um, is meant to be within community, not either privatized or politicized. Yeah. Um, but he has this section here where he talks about... It's uh, like the passage, let the marriage bed be honored by all, right? Like the, there's this connection sexually, produces children. It's an honor, honorable and good thing. That's right. We all respect it. But now you either privatize that or fight, fight it out politically. In the, yeah, yeah. In, in politics. Well, he's got the section on uh, freedom and, and families and the, 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 the kind of breakdowns within the families and the communities and the schools. I'll just read what he says. Uh, how free are parents who have no choice but to turn their children over to the influence of whatever the public will prescribe or tolerate. 
They obviously are not free at all. The only solution is trust between a community and its teachers who will therefore teach as members of the community Mm. a trust that in a time of community disintegration is perhaps not possible. Wow. Uh, Wow. So he goes on to talk about how like, you know, a teacher may not actually be free from a teacher who's a part of the community and might not be free to teach the things the community wants their children being taught. Because of some other Social, external public will, yeah, they have yeah. to teach something the community doesn't want its children being taught yeah. as a way to shock and offend the community. And this is now a disintegration within the community, yeah. within the family that also you know translates into the civilization. Right. And that goes in all directions, right? Like any public school, if you don't have shared values, shared morality, shared view of the world, it's very hard then. How do you start teaching things? There's only so much we can get... Uh, with calculus, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. let's have good math mathematicians so our cars work. But like when you start talking about what is good or what's wrong with the world and how do we fix it? What are we educating people for? What is the purpose? Man, that becomes very difficult. I mean, our oldest wants to get involved in the classical Christian schooling movement uh, because it shaped her in such a profound way as a young person because the values of her home, her church, and her school were lined up both in the desire for depth and educational learning and excellence, but also with the view of the world with God at the center, even of the math class, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, but yeah, that that bond of family has also started to break in our. So, so where many times kids, you know, I don't believe what they believe, and this that, and we're all kind of all over the place, and that affects you know uh, our civilization. And I I almost called this third breakdown country, but I didn't want to think of like patriotism only. I won't, so I changed it to civilization. But one of the things that we have in modern life, and this is Jesse brought up in a book called Try by Sebastian Younger, um, not a Christian book. It's just kind of looking at history of human tribalism and not in a, just in a warfare way, but like how did tribal, you know, Native Americans or, or Native peoples live um, and comparing that to kind of the modern technological industrial world we've created. Uh, and Younger says this, he says, a person living in a modern city or suburb can, for the first time in history, this is pretty shocking, go through an entire day or even an entire life mostly encountering complete strangers. They can be surrounded by others yet feel deeply and dangerously alone. The evidence that this is hard on us is overwhelming. He goes on to say, although happiness is notoriously subjective and difficult to measure, mental illness is Mm. not. Numerous cross-cultural studies have shown that modern society, despite its nearly miraculous advances in medicine, science, and technology, is afflicted with some of the highest rates of depression, schizophrenia, poor health, anxiety, and chronic loneliness in human history, as an, as affluence and urbanization rise in a society, rates of depression and suicide tend to go up rather than down, rather than buffering people from clinical depression, increased wealth in a society seems to foster it. Now he's getting at like, wow, modern society is messing us up, this isolation, this disconnected. Uh, now his solution is good. we need to be more tribal, right? Back towards the interconnected kind of egalitarian thing that tribes used to know as they protected and their members with pro-social behavior. Now, Younger's not a Christian. He's a, uh, his argument is fully utilitarian. In other words, like, hey, 
we're all stressed out and messed up, man. We need to do something different. Yeah. Maybe we get back to a different way of life. Well, if we need to be uh, neo-tribal, maybe in some good ways, Jesse, where do we go? Uh, how do we do that? How, and, and if you look at this now, yeah. how, how people tribe up, <laughs> because I think we're seeing this, right? People are uh, gathering together. And it seems to be the advice, at least, that I hear, you know, in 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 popular culture. Find your tribe. Yeah, find your tribe, right? How do you do that? Well, you find out what your inner truth is. Like, find your truth, right? This kind of subjective inner feeling of truthfulness to yourself or self-identity, right? So you're on this individual quest to find your truth. You wander the world, or more likely today, the internet, right? Or social media. And then you find others or things you like whose inner truth and self-identity resembles your own. And then what do you say, right? It's like, I found my tribe, yeah. right? Right. You know, it's so interesting yeah. because um, being someone who's, I've, you know, I've got, I've been spending a lot of time in graduate studies, postgraduate studies, you know, ministry world. That you you can you can meet people in my world, right? Yeah. Where yeah. where yeah. you would, this all would make sense that you 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 tribe up in terms of like religious affiliation because right, you, right. But you you meet people and you you look for like oh they're saying that word. That's a word that I say that I believe. That's right. You know, oh, they, okay, you know, and you could get really nitty gritty. Like, there's people that you're like, okay, do we really have to talk about infralapsarianism? And, you know, but, but you kind of have these sort of tribal words where you go, oh, that, that guy, yeah, that, that, that person is someone that I would, wouldn't mind hanging out with because they're using the, and, and looking around and realizing this happens everywhere. That's right. That's right, right now. And that we've got this sort of desperate sort of like, oh, they, they use this language in this way. They must be part of the same tribe. That's right. It's really That's interesting. Right. The, the phrase that we see a lot in memes or you just in interaction, these are my people. Yeah. Right? I found my people. Right. You see that all the time. Um, and it, it, it kind of gets back to, you know, the old C.S. Lewis quote about friendship. When you like find something you love and you find, somebody says, you oh, you too, you become, yeah. you become friends, right? But today when you don't have, you know, the familiar, the faith connection, or even like the idea that we're even part of the same country, um, you start looking for it in micro ways. Now, the, the funny thing about that is that you can quickly join tribes and then quickly other them as well. And, and then all of a sudden you only accept certain things as true if they come from the right places, right? We yeah. see this in news media, right? Like you can't trust anything that comes from X, Y, Z because it's, it's, they're, they're not our people, right? Well, this need for community, right? We Nietzsche was saying it's coming, right? We saw this in the book Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, where they were celebrating in this like religious ceremony something called Ford's Day in honor of like a Henry Ford in the assembly line, which I guess in the early days of industrialization and optimism, they would think that that would be a good day. Now Ford's Day seems like, oh, the, the, the systems and machines that oppressed everybody and ruined life, yeah. put us in factories all day. Oh, what, how, where's the craft in that, right? Uh, but people have this need so much, Jesse. We mentioned this article before that people try to start a church without God. And this is again from the article in the Atlantic by Faith Hill. She goes, this talking about this young lady who grieved the loss of God in her life when she kind of deconstructed, left her faith when he moved to New York City, uh, chuck her religion. But she was like, it was like breaking up with someone you thought was your soulmate, Walford told me. Uh, it's for better. It's for your own good. You know, leaving God, she remembered. Even though it no longer made sense for her to believe, she felt a gaping hole where her church, 
her people, her psalms, her stained glass windows used to be. Then Walford read an article about Sunday Assembly, a community started in Great Britain in 2013 that had spread quickly across the Atlantic to her doorstep. Members, get this, gather on Sundays, they sing together, listen to speakers, and converse over coffee and donuts. Meetings are meant to be just like church services, but without God. That's it, she thought. That's what I want. Now, the article goes on to say that it doesn't, it falls apart in the end, doesn't really work. It's like almost like, hey, let's do all the external forms, right, of worship, but without the object and relationship and love with the creator. Doesn't work, but the desire there, right, is uh, persisting, even where we got secular church trying to replace, you know, things that have been lost. Now, Burton, in her book, Strange Rights, we've quoted her several times today, Jesse. She she does a good job at looking at a couple of different scholars, so French sociologist Emile Durkheim, as well as an anthropologist named Clifford Geetz, uh, trying to get at a formal definition for religion You know that has those four things that, that we mentioned earlier. Um, and she talks about things that people are doing today really do, and she's serious here, really do qualify as religions, right? Um, she says, by this logic, you can find Durkheimian, she's again referring to Durkheim, churches, quote unquote, examples of collective effervescence, keeping communities together outside of venues traditionally constituted as religious. You can find it in the exuberant joy of fans experience at the Jonas Brothers concert, you know, where all those young men are jumping around cheering for the Jonas Brothers, Jesse, or, or young ladies, who knows, or the intense in-group identity formation you find at a Super Bowl game, or in its darkest iterations, a Hitler Youth March. What matters is that participants have common symbolic object of worship, that might be the Dallas Cowboys, and that they have rituals and routines that help them solidify their social bonds around that object. Now, Jesse, if we are making all the, you know, if you're making the Jonas Brothers (laughs) the unifying principle of your religion and principle in worship, I mean, the, the, the scriptures call that um, idolatry. Yeah. Idolatry. Um, this uh, becomes problematic because if you put anything, right, to that high of a degree in our lives, it's almost, no, it's not almost, it is a guaranteed letdown yeah. for us. Yeah, you know, that's what I have found really uh, compelling about about Burton's book is it's kind of like the the sociological counterpart to what uh jamie smith has been doing with his uh his um kingdom the trilogy he wrote desiring the kingdom um imagining the kingdom and await maybe awaiting the king where he's doing more of a kind of theological philosophical kind of anthropology of humans as worshiping things animals who are who are liturgical yeah. at heart, and then she's saying, "Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, look at look at how this is playing out in a world that's being kind of where where uh, uh, a theistic religion is being carved out. Yeah, all these things are taking their place. It's really yeah. really compelling. Yeah, yeah. And, and they are, and they would. They of course they must let down. That's right. That's right. And and look, we don't recommend that every. I mean, this book's a little rough at times, right? She's looking into sex cults and yeah. all kinds of stuff people are getting into nowadays that are religious." In nature, um, 
And I think that insight, though, points to this reality. Same thing with Younger's book, right? He's trying to get uh, to, like, the, the, the consequential, like, we need this togetherness, so how do we tribe up again? And she's looking at the phenomena that people are doing it basically through consumer interests and passions, uh, kind of willy nilly as we go. Um, now, Younger's book, he, he you know he says tribal connections lost in modern society. I would say it's be, be reemerging. Yeah. Uh, but regaining it might be key to our psychological sur- survival. That's Younger's thesis. And so there are positives, the, the positives of tribalism or connection. We're using the term tribalism now in a good way. Protection, trust, clarity, unity, right? You have that. You can have teachers and parents working together to educate kids. Um, uh, and, and this makes us happy. Like Younger's looking at you know m- modern psychological theories of happiness, and he says that people need to have a few things to be happy. They need to be competent in what they do, feel authentic in their own lives, and feel connected to others. These values are considered intrinsic to human happiness. So if we don't, you know, if we don't feel an ability or craftsmanship or skill in what we do, we can't feel like we can be ourselves, or we're, we're completely disconnected from others, we're, we're not happy. Um, he said this is far more important than the extrinsic values of beauty, money, and status, which our society is drunk with right? Mm-hmm. Those things don't work, right? Um, and he makes this interesting insight, Younger, in his book, Jesse, about how these things actually emerge where the superficial stuff of beauty, value, money are kind of obliterated. He, he looks at wartime, but he also looked at natural disasters, right? Uh, that communi- Communities that are devastated by natural or man-made disasters almost never lapse into chaos and disorder. If anything, they become more just, more egalitarian, and deliberately fair to individuals. In other words, we we see this, right? We see after a hurricane or a, or a, a tornado rips through a town, it's almost always the case that people say, well, it brought the best out of our community, yeah. brought yeah. the community together, right? Even after 9-11, right? Like people came together. Um, well, why? Because the things that we need from community safety, trust, build together, taking care of one another um, is there. The problem is when you don't have crisis, when you don't have wartime, um, then what? Well, then we have problems. Now, the that, that's the good of tribalism, right? The connections in smaller things huddled up around. The negatives of tribalism are this rapid othering of people, social fragmentation, and the bad kind of internecine warfare, right? Uh, tribal warfare. Um, again, this is uh, probably my favorite quote from Strange Rights Burton's book. She said, but at the same time, the refractory nature of these new intuitional religions, so the breaking potentials of these religions of intuition of the self, each one at its core, a religion of the self, risks creating an increasingly balkanized that means divided into mutually hostile groups, American culture, one in which our desire for personal authenticity and experiential fulfillment takes precedent over our willingness to build coherent ideological systems and functional, sustainable institution. When we are all our own high priests, who is willing to kneel? So, Jesse, I think this idea that we all need to have a crew to feel important is true. But what in the world happens when all the little crews begin to collide? 
I think we're seeing that in our sacred connection games in American civilization society today. Yeah, these, the, yeah, that's right. You know, there, there's collision after collision after collision, and all of these connections are tenuous. Yeah. They're and they're and they're splintering. So that yeah. in some ways they almost get smaller and smaller. Yeah, because, and we have tools like social media that make it worse. Yeah, right? and that allow us to other. By the way, this is why. Um, and I, I understand why people use the word ally. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody. Like ally in terms of maybe like. Yeah, sex, sexuality, like I'm an LGBTQ plus ally, or yeah, I'm a or like racial, racial justice, racial yeah. justice ally. This person's an ally, yeah. But I, I, the reason I don't use it <laughs> is because uh, the word itself plays into this idea of tribal warfare. Can can we bristle against ally together? That word, because look, man, I, I, I grew up in the Black Culture Club, man, I. I you know, you want to go with me? Start talking some racist mess around me, right? But I agree, He's man. Rassled by real. Oh, dude! Like, <laughs> man, sometimes when people don't know who they're talking to, they start so saying some mess. I was like, oh, do you turn your uh-oh. do you turn your cauliflowered ear towards <laughs> yeah, them? Yeah, you say, better say, say that you, one more time. You better stop talking about people <laughs> like that because these people are my family, right? So, but but you're right. They'll keep going, man. About no, this, I'm just yeah. saying. Like, I I think that supportive. Friend, yes, uh, partner. There's yes. a lot of words that we can use that don't turn someone into an other that I have to be an enemy against. Because if somebody is considered an ally, what are those who are outside of that yeah, category? Yeah, they're the enemies. They're, they're, the, they're the ones to destroy. And they're so, the enemy. Yeah. you know, I'd like to recapture the idea of friend, yeah, uh, partner. Yeah. Words that that um uh, that give that same connotation of I'm with you. I love I'm, you. I love you. I'm connected with I you. I care I'll about die your for struggle. You, you know, but yeah. I'm not going to kill for you. Yeah. Uh, or in these or sort of social interactions. If we are desiring, and this is this is like the thing, right? If we're desiring to create a world where people of many races, backgrounds, whatever, flourish and do well by, you know, somebody shouldn't be discriminated by their immutable characteristics of yeah. just what they were born, right? Um, if we're going to build together, we cannot just continually just fragment into small tribes that just war against each other. And now the sad thing is politics, right? And um, we have another episode called War Games that we're yeah, going to get to yeah. at the end of this series where politics does this, right? Both, I don't care what your politics are, the process that we have, at least today, is designed to fracture people down into groups that want to go to war with each other um, and and elect the Savior. So what do we do, Reed? Well, we don't need the Savior. Uh, we don't need to trust in Republicans and Democrats. We need to try or trust in princes. We trust yeah. in the name of the Lord our God. Mm. Jesse, it's one thing to do analysis. It's one thing to look at. This is the game we're playing. It's good to know these things, guys, yeah. that, hey, your friends are religious. They're just not worshiping God. They're worshiping something else. But what do we do? Yet, Jesse, I think in the first of these series, I brought up the term granular renewal. And I said that in front of my son and my wife. They're like, what word? Granular? <laughs> like granular, small. small. Right, granular. Right, right. Grainy. Uh, we have to uh, have connections that we acknowledge in the connection game that matter. In this, I'm going to move from uh, big to small to granular. Mm-hmm. Um, and starting in our lives, we typically live from you know the small into the universal. But we have to see a universal connection that matters in the connection game that all people are made in the image and likeness of God. 
This is what gives us respect and love and kindness and graciousness and reasonableness to every human being, no matter what their behavior, no matter what tribe they're in. Maybe their tribe is against your tribe. We still don't see people as subhuman. We don't see the unborn that way. We don't see races that way. We have to see uh, humanity made by God for his purposes, no matter what they're currently doing. That means people need to have respect and dignity simply because of what they are. doesn't mean we approve of everything everybody does. It doesn't mean we don't you know, put folks in jail for things if they do really, really bad things. But it does mean people deserve our respect. We have a universal connection to them as creatures, and our faith tells us that. Secondly, we need particular connection, and that means real people. Jesse, and you're you're still an elder or pastor of a local church. God intends uh, the solitude to be set in families, local church communities. And look, if you look at the New Testament, read Ephesians chapter 4. There's all sorts of things in there that show how this community is. That we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father is over all and through all and is in all. We have a shared allegiance. I know you like that word, Jesse. Christ is king, right? We are connected by a certain view of truth, biblical truth, the Word of God. We are connected to one another. And this is something that I think as American Christians we need to hear. We're connected to and unified together by these new covenant ordinances or sacraments. We're baptized into Jesus. We're part of the local church. We continue in that relationship with God and one another through the celebration of God's promises in the gospel and the taking of communion. Mm. And then we live right with one another, love one another, serve one another, honor one another, forgive one another. Forgiveness is necessary. If we're not to fragment our own tribe, we have to learn forgiveness because Christ has forgiven us. Amen. Did you use ordinances because you knew I was Baptist? Yeah, you know. and Because uh, I'm okay with sacraments. Okay, I good. say sacraments. Yeah, okay, so, well, yeah, well yeah. The, the, the sacraments the Lord Jesus Christ gave us to, <laughs> you, you used to sign and seals of the new right. covenant. No, yeah. I love that idea yeah. of like this is these these are rituals That's right. that are unifying, but they don't unify us around some sort of... Um, a subjective reality they unify us around the broken body and shed blood of an actual man yes. who was God and is God and yeah. who is who who we who we not only remember in the meal but we we celebrate his certain return it, it's a unifying that's right ritual a, that around we, that we ontology yeah of the one we love worship and follow in this world along with other people, right? And you're sitting there taking communion with people that you know voted differently than you. Yes, yes. And you know they flow different, and they look different. They like you the Jonas Brothers. Well, I don't, you know why? Well, that's okay, right? It's like that's it's between not, them and the Lord. That's right. Just between them and Jesus. Whether you like the Jonas Brothers, I'm just kidding. One of them's turned into a pretty good actor, I think. Um, but anyway, so there's the the large, the universal image of God. There's the particular, like we we gather together in locations. That's why I don't like just internet church only. Yeah. I think there's an incarnational reality to the body of Christ. Get your butt up, go to church. Um, stream it if you can, but go. Uh, and then finally, the very granular at a personal level, right? Families and homes are established by a covenant with God and one another, marriage covenants that build and bring about children, right? And it's no uh, um, random thing that in the Bible says, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household. He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And what that means, Jesse, there is this thing called duty. 
not just my, to my own personal happiness, whatever the cost. There is this thing called responsibility to be there for one another. Hmm. Um, maybe your grandparents couldn't articulate it. Maybe they don't like each other in their marriage, but they were there for you guys. Yep. Yep. And I think one of the things I've tried to stress this with my children um, and with, with our little granular home team is like, we are there for each other. Uh, you always not tell my kid, I don't, I don't, no matter what you've done, whether you're good or bad. I said this to my kids when they're like, whether you've been good or bad, whether you've, you're happy or sad, I want you to know just one thing. I will always love you. And what that means is that I got your back. I'm not out. I'm always in. And and I think there's a particular gift uh, that God wants us mm-hmm. to have in that arrangement. We got to forgive each other. You got to deal with a lot of nonsense with each other yeah. because we're human beings. Um, Jesse, why don't you close with reading? a description of kind of the character and calling and even like how we should act as followers of Jesus in these relationships uh, with our families, mm. with our churches, and with other image of God from Ephesians chapter 4. Mm. Starting verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen, Jesse. Amen. That's Amen. Our, the mic drop moment. It's from the description of the gospel community shaped by the Lordship and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Is that communism? Is that capitalism? Is that free market? What is that, Jesse? What's well, biblical? Let's use our lives, our resources, our loves, our words to build that kind of granular, renewed Renewal. community. The Gospel Underground Podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. I guess I am the Bonhoeffer House now, too. I'm on That's Jesse's right, board, on the board now. Board, Let's baby. go. Let's go. Review us on iTunes. Five stars are acceptable. Send feedback, comments, questions you might want us to take up to info at gospelunderground.org. We are dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. Peace. Hope we see you out there in the connection game. Peace.